Before we begin today's show, the UFC returns to Fight Island on Saturday for UFC 253, Adesanya versus Costa and Reyes versus Blahovich. You don't want to miss this one. UFC 253 is exclusively available to ESPN Plus subscribers for $64.99. Visit ESPNPlus.com slash PPV for more details. And of course, if you want to get yourself up to speed on all the latest in the world of mixed martial arts, then I suggest you check out DC and Helwani with Daniel Cormier and Ariel Helwani wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA. We are doing so uh, just before midnight on uh, Wednesday night, just after watching the Miami Heat with an impressive victory over the Boston Celtics to move to a 3-1 um, uh, series lead. And uh, joining me to talk about it tonight from Dallas, you know who it is. It's Tim Band McMahon. McMahon, Hi, partners. how you doing? Fantastic. And joining us from Los Angeles is Om Young-Wasuk. Hello, Om. Uh, no one is having a better night in America than Tyler Hero, who had, I would assume, the game of his life, um, uh, scored 37 uh, points in just a white-hot shooting performance um, in this game for the Miami Heat. Uh, this is the kind of thing that when you have a guy like this, and he's been building throughout mm-hmm. the whole postseason, but this changes playoff series. Uh, when you have a guy step up and have a performance like that, it changes playoff series. And, you know, he was just, I, I mean, in addition to just hitting everything, um, he was doing it against everybody. Boston was rotating defenders on him. And the only thing that he struggled in, quite frankly, was in transition. He took it, you know, he, he's really good at shooting, um, at shooting uh, off the off the run, whether it's uh, coming around a, a curl, um, pulling up, um, and so that makes him so hard to guard. But Boston was throwing everything they had at him. At one point in the fourth quarter, they had Jason Tatum on him, and he was he was schooling Tatum. He went three and three and three or three against Tatum. We'll talk more about that later. But uh, McMahon, the Miami Heat are eleven and two in this bubble. They got a lot of things going for them. Um, we've talked about it a lot on this pod over the last uh, month. Um, but Tyler Hero is just a game-changing draft pick, and we are seeing him flourish and explode right in front of our eyes. Yeah, especially when you're talking about uh, the 13th overall pick in the draft. I mean, you know, th- this dude is playing like he should have been picked second or third. You know, I guess third after uh, after Morant and. Look, the 37 points, obviously, it's an explosion. Um, you know, it's it's his, you know, NBA high, uh, the most by a 20-year-old in a playoff game since Magic's famous game six closeout of the NBA Finals his rookie 42. year. 42, yeah, 42. Um, but I, I don't think you can say this came out of nowhere because this dude has been balling all playoffs long. And, I mean, as a 20-year-old, he is a – you know, mid 30 minute per game guy for a Miami Heat team that's mowing its way through the Eastern Conference finals. And obviously the kid has absolutely no fear of the moment. I mean, the, the cojones factor for for his age, you know, considering that he can't even shave, doesn't even have to shave yet, is off the charts. But I mean, <laughs> he's got a little fuzz on the chin, a l- little fuzz on the chin. But dude, he's he is doing things beyond scoring for them. You know, he, he's rebounding, he's facilitating. Uh, and again, it's amazing for a guy that young who was a mid first round pick to be this productive, this comfortable and this confident during a playoff run. So, um, you know, the interesting thing is over the years, the Heat have had a lot of Kentucky players on their roster. Jamal Mashburn, Antoine Walker, we could go on and on. Pat Riley played for Kentucky, played for Adolph Rupp, I'm fairly certain. Um, so he's always had an affinity for Kentucky players, but believe it or not, in 25 years of making draft picks, both first and second round, Pat Riley had never taken a Kentucky player in the draft until Bam Adebayo. Hmm. And now he's taken, uh, two, uh, Kentucky players in the late lottery in the last few years, Bam, and then, uh, hero, um, 
but uh, you know, this was a guy who had some, you know, who had some pot shots taken at him. You know, he had, he had some limitations, but you know, he's playing at such an incredible level. Um, I, I'm not even sure this was in anybody's wildest dreams this early in his career. No, I heard Coach Cal on the radio earlier today talking about Pat Riley drafting Bam and and Hero and what the thought process was and how he was going to fit right into the Heat culture. I think that the, the tough thing right now with Kentucky, they have so many talented players. Sometimes it's actually hard to to gauge how good a guy may be if he gets lost in the shuffle with so many talented players that Cal recruits. But I got to say this. I mean, like, listen – I don't even think we can call him a rookie anymore because I, I remember the first time I saw him at Summer League in Las Vegas. I covered his first game. And I remember thinking at that point, I was like, wow, this kid has a lot of moxie. There's a there's something to this kid that is different. And to see what he was doing against that level of play at Summer League and what he's doing now here inside the bubble, it, it almost, I got to say, he was playing almost the same he was in Las Vegas. It was strange. He's just not rattled at all. He can score different levels, which is amazing for for his age already. And so, and he's versatile, and he's a little awkward as far as a defender trying to stop him. As you were saying, he can score off balance. He can score off the run. He can drive. He can dribble. He reminds me a little bit of another Kentucky player, Rex Chapman, in the way that he can hit off balance shots a little bit. So, uh, you know, I think you're right, Wendy, that a performance like this can change a series because. Boston has the defenders to throw at guys like Jimmy Butler, but I don't think they were counting on Tyler Hero to have a game like this. As 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 uh, Bam McMahon said, second to my fellow Spartan Magic Johnson, and now his confidence, which was already I think unshakable, has got to be soaring. The Miami Heat, one game away from the NBA Finals, and Eric Spolstra, man. I, I, you know what? It's like I give Eric Spolster all the props all the time and say this guy's one of the best coaches in the league, and yet he continues to surprise me all the time. That zone, that zone is just so, so awesome to watch. Well, I, I don't know. You guys probably hated it. Maybe the rest of America hated today's pace. Well, we'll talk. We'll talk about the zone in a second. But he, you mentioned him, you know, sort of delivering in a playoff game. Let me tell you how important his performance was. The Miami Heat, as you know. Are, are reliant on their defense, which they played well in the zone, and also on three-point shooting. And tonight, Hero was five of 10 on threes. And it felt like he hit like eight, but he hit five of 10. The rest of the Heat are five of 27 on threes, okay? They, they only shoot 42% as a, as a team. You know, Crowder, one of seven. Um, Duncan Robinson, who's a key shooter for them, 0 of four. Andre Guadalla, one of four. Um, they were not getting it done from the perimeter without heroes shooting tonight. And here's a stat as well in the half court. This is from ESPN stats and info in the half court. He was nine of 10 tonight shooting against contested. You know, they were contesting his shots against contested and on contested shots. He's nine of 10. That's the difference between this series being two, two and three, one. And the Celtics are going to go back and they're going to hang their head and they're going to try to figure out what happened. And they had some issues. Tatum had a scoreless half, which is, you know, hard to swallow for a guy who uh, is going to be a max player soon. He had an incredible second half. He had a 28 point second half. So he did not have a poor game, although the offensive foul that he had at the end of the game, that it was reversed. um, That was a weak, you know, he needs to go stronger there, but I'm, but the Celtics, played well enough to win this game with the exception of they couldn't control this kid hero. And that is, that's the difference between frankly being a conference finals team and being a finals team, getting stuff like that, McMahon. And, and um, he'd have a lot going for him. And, you know, this kid, you know, Ohm talked about his confidence, you know, it's an old baseball. It's, I think it was in the movie um, Moneyball where the scout was talking about evaluating a player's confidence based on his girlfriend. And, you know, it's a sort of an old trope and whatever. It's sort of a funny thing. Hero's confidence is portrayed in his girlfriend, who he, who is an Instagram. I'm not up with all these Instagram IG models. I know um, some folks. You you, you ain't sliding in DMs? No. Um, and uh, she has 7 million followers on Instagram. He, as far as I know, I mean, like, you know, I haven't questioned Tyler about this, but he, he basically started me- publicly messaging this Instagram model at the start of COVID, and now they're together, and she's in the bubble with him. 
Well, hey, hey so there you go. If you are, if you have enough, I mean, he he, he got he he got in there tight enough to where he could convince the NBA to let her in the bubble too. <laughs> She's in, as far as I know. Um, this is a guy who's sending cold messages to IG <laughs> to famous IG models. Shoot your shot, Wendy. And shoot, and he's shoot hit, or he, shoot. You know, he's he's connecting. Okay. Um. So and, yeah, he ain't, he ain't passing down good looks in playoff games. To say exactly. He's not, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I'm making kind of a joke. I don't know what's going on with all, all of them, but I'm just saying like, as if you didn't need more evidence of his confidence, there's another thing for his confidence. I know you respect that McMahon. I mean, listen, I, I, I respect it. Um, I, I, I wonder, you know, why a guy who played well for a playoff team in Miami all season long was, was single at that point, but perhaps that was by choice. Um, but no, I, everything about Tyler Hero's performance in the bubble that included certainly, uh, fits into the umbrella of Cajones factor rookie of the year. (laughs) McMahon, you know, that was by design that he was single up until the pandemic and then he probably didn't get booed up in quarantine. That's all. You know what? That is a good strategy. That's a good strategy. (laughs) McMahon, I think you. No, never mind. I won't say. I, I got booed up in quarantine myself. I, I was gonna say I wasn't gonna say anything, but um, all right. I mean, at the beginning of this quarantine, you were living in an apartment eating frozen pizzas. We were updating your frozen pizza count. Well, Let's just say I've never eaten better in my life. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna leave it right there. Um, my my one Tyler Hero story over All Star Weekend. Um. I go last few years, I've gone and interviewed a bunch of the rookies who are going to be in the rookie, um, the rookie game or the other things. And so I had about 15 minutes with Tyler in Chicago this year and he was injured. He couldn't actually play because he had an ankle injury, which COVID actually helped him recover from. Mm -hmm. I don't know where his ankle or his foot was going to be, you know, in the playoff setting. Had he not had those months, this is a guy who actually has benefited from this. Um, I remember they got the interview. He's very, he's, He's a very intense guy, and you actually saw it a little bit in his interview, uh, if you watched his interview with Rachel Nichols after the game, where he didn't know where to stand. He'd never done a walk-off uh, before, you know, so he, he has, Rachel had to sort of direct him where to go. But um, he's a very intense guy. You know, he's got a very intense eyes, and he's when you talk to him, you know, he's very, very focused on it. But what I remember about it is, unfortunately, Kobe had just died, and we were asking uh, young guys about their favorite Kobe memories. And he told me his favorite Kobe memory was when Matt Barnes faked throwing the ball in at Kobe's face and Kobe Mm. didn't flinch. He loved that uh, because he thought it epitomized Kobe. So we end the uh, interview and and we're packing up and I can't remember if he was on crutches or just had a boot or whatever. He's getting ready to go. And I sort of made a passing comment. I go, yeah, you know about that Matt Barnes play? You know, it wasn't actually in his face. It was, it was off to the side. And he's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And I go, oh, well, there's a there's an there's an overhead angle where you can see that Kobe was actually standing, you know, to the side, sort of shading, and Barnes faked the other direction. It was just a camera, you know, a camera illusion. thing, illusion. It wasn't actually right in his face. And he's like, I don't I don't believe you. <laughs> and so actually I think um Rob Perez, who's well known on Twitter as Worldwide Wob, I think he actually brought this to my attention. He he somehow got the overhead camera shot because it was a baseline inbounds play, and you can see from the baseline shot. Assuming it's the same, I mean, I guess I can't say in today's world of things changing, but it's assuming it's the same play. It certainly looks like it. Kobe is standing, you know, a little bit to Barnes' left, shading him, and Barnes fakes sort of straight or to the right. Um, doesn't mean that Kobe wouldn't, I mean, with all you Kobe fans out there, doesn't mean he wouldn't have flinched if it would, if it wasn't at his face or whatever, but I showed it to Tyler. I called, in fact, I think I called up and I found the tweet that Rob put the, I mean, he was like, it's like a year or so ago. And I showed it to him and he watched it like three or four times. And he was like crestfallen. And I actually kind of felt bad. I was yeah, like, why, oh. why'd you have to do that? I know. I kind of felt bad. Yeah, I was like, good. oh, did man. You, did, did you tell him about Santa Claus too? Right, seriously, Wendy? I mean, he's just what I'm, what I'm, my point is he's a very intense guy. Well, go ahead and tell him about and the I, tooth fairy now too. And I think it's, I think that that serves him well because he's comfortable in that sort of intensity. You know what, um, what would have been awesome to see? And I'm not taking anything away from his performance tonight, but to see how he would have reacted and played in 
in an environment where he was on the road in the playoffs with fans, you know, mm-hmm. like I obviously tonight was a home game for the heat, but it, you know, it's just that this is his first playoffs is not, he's not faced basically a hostile environment. I actually think his, his demeanor and his attitude is suited for that. I think he would play well in that, but right now he doesn't even know what that's like, you know? It's a good point. Although, you know, playing at Kentucky, you know, I think he's, he's seen some serious environments, although he never had a game at Kentucky when he played a year. And the crazy thing is, and I know we're in the fall, so it doesn't quite fit cyclically, but two years ago, this guy was playing high school basketball, you know, spring of two, you know, spring of 2018, he's playing high school basketball. Well, and he looks like a kid too. I mean, he's skinny, he's baby faced. Uh, I mean, he, he looks his age. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. So, a couple things. First off, a little worried we're going to hear... Um, I, I don't know. I don't think we'll hear it tonight, but um, hear about Bam Adebayo, what mm-hmm. um, will happen with him because he played the last three or four minutes of this game basically not using his left hand. And regardless of what it might mean for game five, um, you know, it's worrisome going forward if that's a serious wrist injury. So that's a, that's a key thing going forward, um, you know, and I don't know if that's something we'll find out. Um, you know, Spolstra tonight, his quote was, he's icing it, which is about what I'd expect <laughs> from Spo, um, quite frankly. Um, so we'll see what happens there. That's one thing. The other thing, as you mentioned, Ohm, the Celtics had problem with the zone for a long time. Um, uh, by the way, Bam's uh, quote was, I'm good. So It almost looked this, like, like he was holding his wrist, but it almost at the same time he was – kind of trying to shake off his shoulder. It was almost like it, the way his shoulder looked limp, his whole arm, it looked like he had a stinger or something like that. Maybe. But um, you mentioned the zone. The Celtics, first off, I don't think I've, I personally, and I don't have a photographic memory. I can't remember seeing in any NBA game, much less a, um, a late round playoff game where a team played so much zone. I, I never remember seeing that. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe somebody can produce me that the Heat played more zone in other games, but I certainly didn't feel like I'd seen that before. Um, they pretty much played zone the whole second half and it really bothered the Celtics for a long time. They eventually started making some, some, I was going to say it didn't bother them in the second, bothered them in the first half, second half, they scored 65 points. Still though, they should be better at this. Don't you think? Well, did they figure it out in the second half? And that'll be interesting to see going forward. And obviously, you know, one thing is when Jason Tatum makes shots, the Celtics are a lot better team. I don't know if he, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't know what was up with him in the first half. There, You know, people were wondering, is this guy hurt or whatever? And then he comes out and scores 28 uh, in the second half. So, you know, maybe he, I don't know, maybe he needed some time to get his legs under him to kind of get a feel for I don't know. It's weird to say get a feel for what they're doing defensive because it's not like this is the first time they sprung the zone on them. They've been playing it all series long. Maybe he just had a dud of a half. Um, but, you know, anytime Jason Tatum goes scoreless in a half, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the Celtics is going to be an ugly half for them. Yeah. The thing, the thing about the reason that teams stopped playing zone decades ago so much is that the zone isn't actually that hard to beat with NBA talent. And so it's a it's a good changeup, but it's not something in theory, that, right? But the Lakers right. used it against the Nuggets to make that comeback. Uh, to cut but they sprang it on them, and it was like oh, it was a one-two-two. I mean, like that was a curveball yeah. that was sort of out of desperation, and it was not a a baseline principle for how they play. Yeah, Spolster's using it like like he's Jim Beheim or something. You know what? It did remind me of a Syracuse game. Quite frankly, actually, yeah. and frankly, Bam Adebayo reminded me of some of the guys that Syracuse has had when they've been really great. When they've had guys like Hakeem Work and stuff yeah. in there, not to compare Hakeem Work to Bam Adebayo, but the same sort of Big East know. Hakeem Work. Well, actually, <laughs> the, the Miami Herald did a story after I think it was Game Two, 
they called Jim Beheim up to ask him what he thought about the Miami Heat zone. And he actually said he thought it was pretty good. And one thing he pointed out was that the Heat... Would have been great if he was like, yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the one thing he did point out was that like, like Syracuse tends to... And obviously, maybe McMenamin would be good, better on this, but Syracuse tends to, uh, you know, recruit guys that are lanky, long, so he can they, they can play this zone and be effective, get a lot of deflections. Miami, you know, instead of putting up their smalls up up high, they'll put Jimmy Butler up there for a little more length, and then you know you'll see another longer defender like Jay Crowder up there, perhaps, to try to disrupt things and then maybe hide their guards in the corners. And so yeah. Iguodala is another one of yeah, those Iguodala. guys, and he he played. So Boston I believe his so most extended turnovers. minutes of the playoffs tonight. Yeah, Boston had so many turnovers against that zone. Yeah, so that that uh, that I think is an interesting wrinkle to this zone, and and at times Kemba Walker, who did have, he, you know, he's got to be the zone buster, right? It's got to be him, Tatum, uh, Kemba Walker. Sometimes could have difficulty trying to get through the, through that first layer of that zone. They actually had some success when they started throwing the ball to Marcus Smart in the middle. And it was interesting. I saw that DraftKings, and I, I mean, who knows? I mean, they're obviously trying to get, uh, you know, um, attention, you know. But DraftKings mentioned that um, somebody bet $250,000 tonight on Marcus Smart's over, which was 13. Uh, I think it was 12 and a half. So he had thir- 13 or more. The guy would have won 450 grand. Wow. And you smart think was those, you think one of eight from three point range hurt <laughs> that guy's feelings. So smart was smart. By the way, had ten. He fouled out with ten points. He'd been averaging twenty points in the series, but you know Gordon Hayward had just come back, and so that's probably why the it was set there. So they're going to Marcus Smart in the middle, and Marcus Smart is just is distributing. It was actually mm-hmm. kind of helped them get going. I think that guy was probably like, shoot it, Marcus. My Wait, God, he needed to score thirteen for the guy to win money. To win well, four hundred fifty three was huge. The one where Smart pulled up on tr- in transition, wide open, and missed the three badly. Well, <laughs> you could argue that any of the seven threes he missed were huge, <laughs> considering he was a three pointer short. He was three of twelve overall tonight and fouled out, but he had eleven assists. My point is, they were using him as a distributor, mm-hmm. and and I think he had th- sort of three assists in a row at one point in the third quarter, helped break the zone. Uh, but you know, it's something that, you know, Boston for the talent that they have, like they, you know, and they're deploying that talent, but they just, they don't feel, they don't look comfortable in it. And I think, I think, uh, I think Spolster was like, look, I'm going to ride this sucker until they prove they can beat it. And they haven't proven they can beat it enough for him to, to go away from it. Yeah, that's fair. And, and I mean, look, let's just be honest, like Brad Stevens, people have taken some People even, you know, there's been some people take some shots at Brad Stevens, I think because he has been so widely well uh, lauded. He was for, anointed. Yeah. Well, also because he's been he's been praised so much for his X's and O's yeah. plays. I mean, um, I remember last summer uh, people are going to forget it, except for Warriors fans. But at the end of game six of the finals, um, Warriors down two. Steve Kerr draws up this brilliant play that gets Steph Curry an open three from the wing. And Curry misses it. If he makes it, we're going to seven. And he misses it. And it was a beautiful play, and it's lost to history because the the Raptors are charging on the court. But I remember talking to Steve in the summer when he was coaching for Team USA, and I said, you know, Steve, I just want to tell you that was a great play. And he goes, you know what? That was a Brad Stevens play. I stole that from Brad Stevens. He goes, I got four or five plays. And I've heard that before. Other coaches say, well, I stole that from Brad Stevens. At the same time, some people think that Brett Stevens gets too much credit. And so the fact that the Celtics have struggled against pretty, you know, while they're talented, it's still a pretty basic defense. I wonder if Brad Stevens is going to hear a little bit about this if the Celtics don't make a Nuggets-esque comeback. Well, another thing is Eric Spolster probably hasn't gotten enough credit uh, over the years, especially when he had the, you know, the, the LeBron super team. But there's a reason that, Spolstra is the second longest tenured coach in the NBA. I mean, and so going into this series, all due respect to Brad Stevens, but if you thought the Celtics had some kind of significant uh, coaching advantage, I, I just think that's misguided. Yeah, I was thinking today as I was watching Spo, if I was another organization like, say, the Sacramento Kings, which probably could never really get their act together, but I was thinking, like, could you ever steal Spo away from Miami? You know, Spo is obviously waiting to 
maybe eventually take over the reins from Pat Riley. He's a heat culture for heat lifer. But could you ever, if you wanted to copy the heat culture and started another franchise, could you ever steal Spo and say, listen, we'll make you, we'll make you the Pat Riley of this organization or a GM slash coach and how much would it cost? I don't think so because one of the things that Spo has been willing to do is he's just taken uh, average raises. You know, he keeps, he, you know, I don't know what kind of contract he's on right now. I think they've pretty much stopped announcing his contract extensions, but for a while there, you know, he was in one of the lower paid coaches and he just keeps taking deals with raises. And, you know, you, you stay there long enough, you keep getting raises. All of a sudden you're up pretty yeah. high. And those probably had, I mean, he got the job in 2008, um, 2008 or nine. He's probably had four contracts. And so, you know, I, I think that's one of the things I, I, and I also think that he respects what he has there. I mean, you know? I just feel like a lot um, of people always try to copy the Spurs, the Spurs organization. And I feel like more teams should do the same with the Miami Heat. Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. So this so this month is the 25th anniversary of the Heat hiring Pat Riley as head coach and, and team president. Um, and the reason it took till September of 1995 for that to happen is because there was a tampering case. Um, he initially agreed to the job in June, and then the Knicks brought tampering charges um, against the Heat. Um, and it's actually kind of a, when you look back on it, it's kind of a fascinating story. Um, Riley had one year left on his contract, had tried to negotiate an extension with the Knicks, um, supposedly, according to the Knicks, had asked for ownership shares. Uh, the Knicks had were in the process of being sold, and Riley wanted to cut in on the deal. They didn't give it to him, so he didn't extend his contract. So he famously resigned by fax um, like a week or 10 days after the Knicks got eliminated from the playoffs. But there was a memo allegedly i don't know if it ever became public but there was a memo that riley's attorneys had prepared with riley's demands to the heat for what he wanted to be the coach and president and the knicks got their hands on that memo and mickey arison the owner of the heat i don't think he necessarily accused this guy straight out of leaking the memo to the knicks but he said that this guy helped the knicks it was a one of the owners earlier that year, Mickey Harrison had survived this bloody battle to get control of the heat. Cause there were three owners who were sharing control and he bought them out. It was a long fight. He accused one of the guys he bought out with leaking information to the Knicks, including this memo. But the point is the memo of what Riley demanded is legendary, legendary in 1995. And the memo was dated like five days before he sent the facts. And that was the basis of the, of the tampering case. But what he asked for, I guess it was 14 bullet points, uh, things that he asked for. One of them was a five-year, $15 million contract, which is gigantic money for a coach in 1995. He asked for 10% of the team immediately, okay? And another 10% that vested over years. He ended up getting a percentage, but not that much. Uh, He asked for $300 a day per diem. This is all reported by the New York Times back then. He asked for limousine service to and from games. And he asked for the Heat to buy his house in L.A. and to buy his house in New York. Um, So he didn't have to go through the process of selling them so he could immediately buy a house in Miami. The point is, they gave him a lot. They gave him the five-year contract. They gave him the ownership shares. And then they settled the issue with New York by giving them a million bucks and a first-round draft pick. But... What a tremendous deal for Mickey Harrison because he hasn't hired a coach in 25 years because Riley handed it off to Stan Van Gundy, who was an assistant, and then handed it off to Eric Spolster, who was an assistant. I mean, I guess they hired them, but he hadn't done a coaching search in 25 years. Well, I hadn't done a coaching search in 25 years. And, you know, yes, being in Miami helps, but Riley— But it hadn't helped him up to that point. 
Yeah, I'm here. saying, but Riley has also turned that franchise into a premier destination for free agents. Yeah. And that that's not something that happens without Pat Riley arriving and, and you know, basically completely changing the franchise. But not just that. And this is like the fifth iteration of a great team he's built because he had the team with with Morning and Hardaway. They didn't they never made it. They made it to the conference finals, never made it to the finals. Then he had the team with Shaq and Wade, which won a championship. Then he had the LeBron um, you know, the LeBron Wade Bosch team that which won championships. And now this is sort of like the fourth juggernaut team he's built. They've made 19 playoff appearances in 25 and, years. And now. they do it. Listen, like tonight, the it was like I'm on Twitter and Dwayne Wade is just, you know, glowing about Tyler Hero. And one of the things he said was, listen, this isn't just a flash in a pan game here. This isn't like he just got red hot. You can tell this is the way Tyler Hero plays. And to me, it just reminded me of how the Heat have been able to find these great players at times like Dwayne Wade and perhaps now like Tyler Hero uh, with great scouting. They know what type of players they want. And I think that's like a thing that a lot of franchises, they can never seem to decide on sometimes. And it screws them up. It screws them up for years to come. With the Miami Heat, they know the type of guys they want in their system, whether it's a free agent or whether it's in the draft. Well, well, and Jimmy and Butler it, has done a great job taking Hero under his wing. He went and worked out with Butler um, before the season even started. That that was a priority for both of them. Yeah, and they also develop guys. I mean, Duncan Robinson obviously is kind of case A of development, but they develop Bam Adebayo into an All Star at a young age. They've, you know, Tyler Hero is a better player now than he was when he, you know, w- was was drafted a year ago. He, I mean, part of this is not only do they do a great job scouting and identifying talent and guys who fit, but then they make those guys better players. And it sounds simple, but there's some franchises, the perennial losing franchises suck at developing players. One thing I will say, you know, the Heat are one game away from being a number five seed to make it the finals. We, we speculated when this bubble was first conceived back in May about whether or not we could have an outlier situation like in 1999 lockout year where we had a, an eight seed make the finals um your new york Knicks. that's right it doesn't it's not as simple as just like everything fell their way they have earned it but the heat got to fast track their development with this team because they kind of got a season and a half of development and, and hero has been a huge beneficiary of it um i'm sure if you're a celtics fan you're very disappointed right now because the Celtics obviously were up big in games one and two, won game three, and you know had this one within their reach. They actually took a lead after falling. They took a lead in the second half after falling down. I can understand why, as a Celtic fan, you are tearing your hair out and you're frustrated with with this. You're frustrated with that. But I think the proper team is ahead here. Yeah, yeah. The team that that I predicted would win the series. When who'd you predict would win the series? I don't make predictions, as oh, you know. Wow. Oh, wow. How less of you? <laughs> um, who did you? Who'd uh, you so my first email I sent in was Heat and Seven, and then I immediately changed it to Celtics and Seven, going back and forth. Uh, and mm. I I mm. thought my my number one thing that I thought was that I thought the Celtics would have an easier time scoring than the Heat, and I was proven wrong. But I I want to say one thing and. Wendy, you would you would know this having been in Miami and you were close to this. Do you think that we underestimated, or maybe we didn't make a bigger big enough deal of the fact that going into this bubble, the Heat was a franchise and a team with the culture that could that could thrive in what the bubble was going to be. And the reason why I say this is because when I look at the Clippers, a team that I was with all year long, it became very evident by the end that the Clippers did not want to be in the bubble anymore. And that clearly played. We want to talk about all the problems that they have with chemistry. Sure, it took them a long time. They could never really find it. But I really felt like toward the end, and I'm not trying to take any credit away from the Denver Nuggets, but in that end, in that game seven, they looked like a team that did not want to be in the bubble anymore. Whereas the Miami Heat, from the get-go, and I think we said this on a pod when I was on with you, uh, I think early in the bubble, they were a culture that came in immediately and tried to set up 
their meeting room like it was in the arena. They put up all their big posters of all their glory moments and franchise. Yeah, glory. the Raptors did that yeah. too. But yeah. this was a team that they're, they're so hard-nosed. They're so connected. They're so scrappy. They're so like an underdog team that I feel like they're, they're thriving in the bubble atmosphere. And I agree with that. I think it is susceptible. The way they play does sort of work, the, you know, the, what they sell their players on. But this team has major talent too. For sure. They might not be able to get Jimmy to move out of Disney World, though. He <laughs> might just stay there on a permanent well, basis. Well, you know, you've seen the commercial. He gets such great um, the, the the maid or the you know steward or whatever who cleans his room. You know, gets his beer all lined up for him, makes some little. Towels, Do we also think animal. the other commercial that Jimmy actually knows the Hall of Notes song? Does he actually listen to Hall of Notes? You know, I re- I read he gave an interview about that, and like, because it was like during the middle of COVID when they filmed it, and like. I'm pretty sure like his friend filmed it on his iPhone or something. <laughs> um, maybe it was a little bit better than maybe I'm not telling the story directly, but if that's so, um, that was pretty well done. <laughs> that was pretty well done. If that's indeed how that went down. Now let's talk about the play of the week, the pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Let's talk before we go about the other series um, uh, who maybe we'll get the the winner of, we'll get the heat. Um, I think you could look at this sort of two ways. If you're a Nuggets fan, you can say Mason Plumlee doesn't, you know, go brain dead there. And, and, you know, Anthony Davis misses that shot. You know, Jokic flicks it with his fingernail. Uh, It's 2-1 Nuggets. If you're a Lakers fan, you could say, Man, uh, you know, they've other than, uh, you know, a couple of bad quarters, they've pretty much dominated the series. Um, I think the thing to me that's been so telling is that the Nuggets role players were so bad in the first two games and the Lakers role players were so good. I was like, if this keeps up late, you know, there's no way the Nuggets can contend. Well, the Nuggets role players showed up in game three, specifically Jeremy Grant. And the Lakers role players struggled. You know, Rondo's miraculous three-point shooting finally tailed off a little bit. And look, LeBron and Anthony Davis are going to go back and forth. Uh, Murray and and Jokic are going to go back and forth. The role players are going to play a big role here. And, um, Olm, you've covered Denver a lot. Um, I don't know where it's going to go, but I'm watching these role players starting with game four. Yeah, Jeremy Grant. Monte Morris, anything they give you is a huge bonus for them. Much in the same way for the Lakers, Kentavious Colbo Pope, the way he's playing and all the threes that KCP's hitting, huge bonus for them. Or Rondo, and when Rondo's making baskets, because Kuzma has not been that third guy that we thought he would be. KCP has been great. Yes. Great. The entire hey, look, uh, eventually the Lakers had to get something back for all the money they spent on Kentavious Colbo Pope these last couple of seasons. And he's coming through now. He doesn't even look like a guy. That, that has had like knee issues and has been banged up. He looks fantastic. But I, I would say this with the Nuggets, it's strange because you can see them kind of like, I think that game two, the, the game two, even though they lost at the buzzer, I think gave them a lot of confidence that, hey, we can beat this Lakers team. We can stick with them. We'll beat them. And then they go up 20. And I think that belief grew even more, even though obviously that lead got dwindled down to three or four at the end. And then it took a huge game for Murray at the end to win that game. I do feel like they're really, really confident in winning this. But I've always said this going into this series, and I've said this about the Lakers. If Anthony Davis imposes his will and plays like a killer, nobody's beating them. 
and you can't have Anthony Davis go without a rebound in the first half. He's got to be more aggressive, and when he does that, then all the Nuggets are in trouble, especially Jokic, who could get in foul trouble. Man, yeah, two, um, two rebounds in a playoff game from Anthony Davis. It's like, dude, you hit a buzzer beater, you don't get to take the next game off. And man, you've talked about uh, Cajones All Stars. Uh, how oh, about dude, Jamal Murray? Uh, he's he's unbelievable. And yeah, I'm curious to see. You know, it's interesting. You 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 had Jokic after that game saying, "I really truly believe this guy's a superstar." And I think one definition of a superstar is somebody who can on a you know, somewhat consistent basis, just take over playoff games. And obviously he's done that now in three different series, in each series uh, this postseason. I'm curious to see, is is this, you know, Jamal Murray playing the best basketball of his life? Is this his peak or is this, you know, him breaking out? You know, what? how is he going to follow up? However this playoff run ends, how will he follow up on that next season? Because if this is you know, a sign of things to come for Jamal Murray, the Nuggets are going to be a contender for, you know, a nice little window here because well, you know Jokic is a superstar. McMahon, this comes back to one of the legendary sayings on this podcast <laughs> that I have said over the years. And it's an old school phrase and I get made fun of for it and no people don't understand it because it's a reference to craps. It's called betting on the come. And that's what old school basketball, that's what old school executives would say when you sign a guy to a contract that he hadn't quite earned yet, but you're wagering, you're making a big bet that he is on the upswing. Mm -hmm. Um, Classic example, Andrew Wiggins, Minnesota Timberwolves, bet on the come. And it crapped out. Denver Nuggets gave Jamal Murray a max contract like first week of July 2019. Didn't even doubt it. And, you know, uh, I understand. I mean, at the time, nobody was saying it was egregious, but it was a little bit surprising that they were that aggressive with it. And they did that believing that he was going to mature into the type of player that could be a frontline franchise player. And they have hit seven because it has exploded. It has exploded. And that contract now looks like an absolute no brainer. uh, Absolutely. But he wasn't this guy a year ago when they gave him this deal. No, he he wasn't this guy during the regular season. He was a good player. He wasn't a superstar. He wasn't an all-star. And it's not like during the all it wasn't like, Oh, Jamal Murray's a no, he was a good player. He he wasn't even in the all-star conversation. Well, you know, but again, he's a young guy. So, you know, maybe this is a case of a guy who, you know, worked on his game during the hiatus and you know, caught fire and is is going to be this type oh, of he dude. worked on his game during the hiatus yeah. if you were paying attention to social media. But <laughs> no. uh, mm. look, I, I think what you're seeing is a couple things. One, uh, he loves shooting inside this bubble. And but he's also doing it at a clutch rate. I believe he's hit eight crunch clutch time baskets, according to ESPN stats and info, which I think is second only most in one single postseason to Steph Curry, who had like nine in 2016. Um, so that is the next level that he stepped up from last year is the consistency. Last year, Michael Malone told him that you're still a little too inconsistent. We know what we're getting every night with Nikola Jokic, but not so much with Jamal Murray, who one night can maybe have 28 and then score 12. Mm-hmm. But I think the next step he takes next year is he is still a little more consistency. He he doesn't dominate a game from from start to finish. He does go through these lulls a little bit, and then he tr- he'll turn it on when he has to. Much like this entire Nuggets team when they had to turn it on when they're down three one. He was incredible in Utah. Then there were some times against against the Clippers and credit the Clippers. They obviously have very long defenders to throw at him. Where Jamal Murray was kind of just absent from the game. And you want to see him be able to dominate a game. If he wants to become an elite superstar, a top 10 superstar, he's going to have to dominate defenses throughout the entire game. Well, he did have a pretty – last year was the first time he made the playoffs. And, um, you know, they had the two seven-game series. And he had some moments in those playoffs. Mm-hmm. He had a couple of pretty big games. And I think that seeing that probably iced the Nuggets' decision to give him uh, the max. Uh let me just give you his his now. You're, he's playing more minutes 
you know, he, so regular season, he played 32 minutes a game. Um, but regular season, he averaged 18.5 points a game, shot 45% from the field, um, 35% from three, um, averaged three free throws a game, which is kind of low for a guy who has the ball in his hand um, that much, averaged uh, just under five assists. That was the regular season, which, you know, all pre-COVID. Now, playoffs. Holy Moses. 26.6. So eight more points a game. Now he's playing 39 minutes, so he's getting seven more minutes, so that's contributing to it. 51% from the field. Now that's a that's a stunning jump. To shoot 51% from the field and the kind of shots that he takes, and in the more minutes you get, you get more tired. You know, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's a, an unbelievable jump in field goal percentage. And he's now played 17 playoff games. This is not like a good week averaging six and a half assists per game. So jumping, you know, an assist and a half per game. So just playmaking more Um, and getting the line four times a game. He could still probably do better there, but um, that's an incredible come up. Well, and, and and you talk about last year, yeah, he 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 had some nice playoff games, you know, but the the way their season ended was him going four of eighteen in a game seven loss, uh, you know, so it's not like it was, you know, oh wow, he's riding this huge hot, you know, wave of momentum going into uh to free agency, so they definitely stuck their necks out there now. You know, second round game seven this year, he drops forty on the Clippers, and and they and they blow out the Clippers. Um, I mean, I'm sorry though. Even going into the playoffs, if you just if you just said, hey, you know, there, there's going to be a guy in the West who's going to have four forty point games, including two fifty point games in the first couple uh, rounds. How many guesses would it have taken you to get to Jamal Murray? <laughs> Five, six. More well, than that. One thing I think in this series. We haven't seen a transcendent game from LeBron yet. Now, part of it is he is setting up Anthony Davis. Um, his stats are good. He's averaging 24 points, nine rebounds, Had nine assists, double. and shooting. Yep, shooting 56% from the field. I mean, that's strong. Anthony Davis, by the way, averaging 32, seven rebounds, lowered by that poor performance in game three. Um, he's shooting 53% from the field. I mean, these are strong numbers. Uh, this is the kind of Anthony Davis, you know, more rebounds, of course, but these are the kind of Anthony Davis numbers that you are looking for in a conference final series. Um, they're getting 54, 58% shooting from, from Caldwell Pope, 55% shooting from Kuzma. He's not shooting that much, but he's he's making shots. Um, if Markeith Morris is shooting, um, he hasn't shot that much, but he's shooting 67%. I don't know if those guys are going to keep up those numbers. And already we've seen after Dwight Howard's game one flourishing, Jokic and the referees are kind of getting getting on him. The Nuggets are working on the refs to keep you know Dwight from you know some some shenanigans. And, and by the way, Dwight, like I appreciate all the trash talk because it's entertaining, but like, dude, don't talk trash and then get your ass whooped by Jokic. And, and here's a little secret: Jokic is going to whoop his ass more times than not. Like Dwight. You know this whole right. He had he had his moment, and it's now he's playing his role. He's playing his role. You get what's his role, jackass? Yeah, I mean his role is basically. Well, look, he's a bit of a clown, but I'm just saying. Like as I read you those numbers, okay? As I read you those those Laker numbers, is Caldwell Pope going to continue shooting 58? He might. Is Kuzma going to continue shooting 55 percent? Are the Lakers going to continue? Because we've seen them have periods where they've gone cold. Um, from the from the perimeter. So my point is here, the one place where I think they can go better, I think LeBron right. can elevate a little yeah. bit. The question is, you know, is that going to be something he actually is able What's to LeBron do? What's LeBron shooting from three, uh, Wendy? Poor. That's, you know, he's shooting 29%. Because, because if I'm Denver, AD is shooting when, when LeBron gets going, and if we've seen throughout his entire career, it's when he's, you know, steamrolling his way toward the rim. And when he got started, uh, when he got hot in that third quarter, what was he doing? He was posting up basically on that left side, backing in, shooting that fadeaway over Grant. 
and then get it. He got himself going. But if I'm Denver, I'm going to try to create that wall and just let him shoot the three all he wants, especially off those screens. By the way, you know, you know, LeBron's pretty damn good when he has a 30 point triple double, 14 or 23 from the floor. And everyone's like, yeah, "Eh, LeBron needs to show up. Well, you know, I'm just going to say the game that Tyler Hero had tonight, which was a difference making performance that changed the series, basically. LeBron's had about 40 of those in his career. Okay. I think we're going to need to see one of those coming up. My, my experience tells me my feel for this series and my experience tells me the team that wins games four, that wins game four is winning the series. Mm. Um, my, my experience tells me a healthy LeBron with an all NBA sidekick is not losing in well, the conference finals. And they may win game four. And they win game four. They're and, up 3-1. Uh, and so now that's when Denver activates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I mean, I, I know I know that's the, what people yeah. are saying, but um, that's what my feel on this I think is. we get the signature LeBron game in game five. Because if let's say they win game four, LeBron will look to just sh- shut it down, close them out. I think the big LeBron game comes in game five. I will say that, you know, one of the things that is a question mark as these series goes on go on, because the Lakers were absolutely gassed at the end of game three because they had to do so much in that comeback. Um, stamina for these teams is going to, you know, Denver has already shown that it can sort of withstand long series. Now, maybe there's a culmination effect that catches up with them. Um, we'll see. But the Lakers ran out of gas at the end of that game. Um, it's something to watch because it's every other day now. You know, they don't they don't get any break at all. So it's something to watch for sure. But I am, you know, tomorrow night or tonight, as you guys listen to this podcast, somebody's going to grab that one by the horns. And I, I mean, I would wager on it being LeBron. You know, um, he's had a couple of big time moments in these playoffs already. But uh um, let's see how that goes. But um, all right. Well, thank you guys for staying up late. Thank you, Omen and McMahon. Thank you to Troy for uh, putting it back together in Connecticut. Thanks for listening to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We will talk to you over the weekend. Everybody have a great end of the week. Mm-hmm.